Surely there is good pet media. In honor of all the bad media we've responsibly consumed these past months, what's the best thing on the internet you've seen a pet do? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with a video my friend sent me of a parrot that used its beak to open like a little bag of tea. Uh, like it was this tiny little beak can opener. He was so good at it. I'm at Patches, and I am obligated to go with Patches the Horse. Google it. It's a big white horse who can get beers from the fridge. <laughs> uh, hey, it's me, David the Seven. And I recently saw this week a photo of a protest dog with the sign that said "Heckin' Bamboozled by Racism," and I fall for some good dodge every time. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and I need to go grab my baby son who is screaming for reasons unknown in his crib. That counts as, a, uh, as an animal video. Asa is not a pet, David. My God. <laughs> Asa is not a pet, and he wants everyone to know that tonight. So hang on one second. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 303, Pandemic 13. It's the week of Wednesday, June 10th, 2020. That was the day that in 1692, the first victim of the Salem witch trials, Bridget Bishop, was hanged for witchcraft in the colony of Massachusetts. Good it's, news. It's great Good to live in 1692. It's great to live in a country in which nothing bad has happened since then. Yeah. That was, he did turn out to be a witch. So yeah. in, in hindsight, that was a good call. Yeah. No, I'm proud of, proud of America and its many great decisions over the years. Um, <laughs> we are on Zoom and we can all see Asa right now, um, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Asa, you uh, say Not that? for me. Asa can see us. That's Asa, Asa is looking at us and just blinking once in a while being like, seriously? Asa is, Asa is currently staring at our wall of iTunes reviews. He does not. <laughs> He's <moment>. not impressed. <laughs> uh, Asa's supposed to be asleep, but you're not because you're listening to our show. And David's going to read some of these reviews. Uh, yes. Hello. Uh, there's a, a better than zero chance that uh, our youngest co-host here is going to ex- insert himself into some of these review readings, we'll see. Oh, there we hey, go. Hey, <laughs> hopefully not with projectile commentary. He was supposed to be asleep an hour and 22 minutes ago and has uh, decided that sleep was a pre-revolutionary idea. Um, all right. Mountain, Mountain Drew 28 says, great podcast. I just recently started listening and already love this podcast. I just got into film last year. My favorite films as of now are There Will Be Blood, Heat, Akiru, and Mulholland Drive, and uh, Inherent Vice. Wow. All the films. I started following David Ehrlich on Letterboxd about six months ago, and after lo- oh no, Asa just scroll. He just whacked the trackpad and scrolled down. Uh, and after looking at oh, he knew that someone was about to insult his daddy. That's- mm. uh, and after looking at many of his ratings, I found him very snobby and annoying. However, after reading many of his reviews, listening to the podcast, and looking at his list for best of the year and decade, I have more than often agreed with his takes. I love all the other hosts as well, even though I just learned who they are from this podcast. I love hearing everyone argue over a film because they all seem to have very good evidence of reasoning to support their takes. Two questions for you guys. Can you give me any tips on how to figure out the theme slash message of a movie? And what true story do you want to have a movie made on next? I think that second question, Mountain Drew 28, I think we, we answered that second question recently in the lightning round, did we not? 
Did we? A uh, true story that we want to have a movie. Yeah. I think we, it was uh, around... Like a biopic or something? Like, who is going to get big-shorted next? Like, what, like, <laughs> political... I know, swear we did this in the last We should probably do weeks. a new version of that. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, sure. I mean, there's been a lot. We have a whole new year worth of shitty Human history has get. advanced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, does anyone have an answer off of the questions. top of the um, I have an answer for, for how to figure out the theme of a film. Mm. Um, okay. Put your phone down and watch it. <laughs> Ooh. Like, great, great patches. Boom! Uh, a little hot. Uh, I think Mound Drew 28 sounds like a very active no, uh, viewer. And, uh, I don't know, read, read criticism about it if it feels or if, undetectable. Or if think about what you were thinking about when the movie ends. Like, what beyond the story itself does the movie bring up for you? Because, like, the, the you know, a movie's theme can be subjective. Uh, and you can, like, you can well, get something I, out of it that someone else doesn't. Yeah, and that dovetails with what I was going to say, which is that there isn't necessarily, unless you're watching something very didactic, a right answer, even when a critic uh, gloms onto a certain reading of a film and insists that it meant such and such. Uh, that is just their takeaway of it. Uh, you can really, as long as the, the text is able to support it, take what you want from a film. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what, whatever resonates with you about it, um, whatever stands up to the scrutiny of thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, the way that we argue and apparently have okay evidence for our opinions if you can do that with the movie you just watched, then you've found something that's valid about it, and that's that's the criticism. My other recommendation would be to create an IMDb Pro account, um, find the publicist of the director you're watching, <laughs> and um, email them pretending to be the New York Times asking for comment. <laughs> that'd be that'd be a quick. That's way. what, what uh, A.O. Scott and Manola Dar just do before every review. Hey, what they is this movie about? Them. I'm writing a thing. <laughs> Um, I mean, honestly, the the answer oftentimes for critics, particularly when they're in a hurry, is press notes, where you just read what the the filmmaker supposedly thinks the movie is about, and then divine whether or not they uh, were right mm. or were able to convey what it was that That's they were. That's hilarious. Wait, can we take a pause? Is there a press note packet where you thought there was a great disparity between the movie you had watched and the press notes you had? Oh, God, yes, definitely. Yes. It's also my only letterboxed uh, review, <laughs> which is uh, what Wrath of the Titans. Wow, or whatever the shit that Wait, was. The, the, uh, the Clash second or one. Wrath? Yeah, the oh Clash, I think Clash. The three D Clash, one. Clash the is the one that was poorly one. converted to 3D. the one that I'm still rubbing my eyes over because it's yeah, so yeah, scary. Half, half of the press me, notes were about you know like um, they're going to do it in a three D and it's this new conversion process. And I swear to God, the first screening was just like a horrible conversion that didn't even work. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I think it came out in February after Avatar. Yeah, they, it did. After that movie blew up, they were like, put this through the, the machine. Oh, yeah. No, I think about that all the time as a movie that I saw and the form in which I saw it does not exist anymore and never will again. Like, no one. And I only think it. about Clash of the Titans because the tagline, as I'm sure I've said multiple times in this podcast oh. before, was Titans will clash. <laughs> <laughs> um, never forget. What was inaccurate yeah. about that tagline? Yeah, no, you they could did. not. Uh, false advertising. They clashed. All right. Thank you very much, Mountain, du- Mountain Drew 28. And we have one more review from Kid A one one two. I'm not sure if that's a radio reference. Is that the Pixar number A one one two? I'm not I sure. They were like one uh, one that ends in a three, but it could very well could be a CalArts <laughs> uh, CalArts classroom joke. 
Uh, all those Cal arts classroom jokes always over my head. Um, let's see. Wonderful podcast, they say. I can't say enough about how much I love this podcast. All four hosts bring such great points of view. And it's great to hear old friends still finding ways to talk about the things they love in a weekly meetup. As someone who is roughly the same age as the hosts. Oi, you mean dust? Nope. They said old friends. I feel like they meant old friends. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here with a a baby yeah, on my right. lap with a physical and exhausted expression on his face. Well, he's so like I'm falling so- asleep as he's God, God that would be, uh, that would how be boring is our podcast. <laughs> if our podcast put babies to sleep, I would uh, weaponize that shit. <laughs> um, I attended college from 2004 to 2008. All right. I graduated in 2007. So yeah, right around there. And who shares the passion, the passion of pop culture with my own group of friends who I still keep in touch with. I find a lot of myself reflected in the dialogue on this pod. I have, also very much enjoy talk of parenting and how that changes the content that we are consuming and how we view content. I have two daughters, a soon to be three year old and a five months old. And between work chores and taking care of the girls, my wife and I find little time to keep up with the shows we already watch and the movies we want to see much less seeking out new shows or films that aren't on our radar. There used to be a time we could watch whatever we wanted, but now it is really important to have your four trustworthy voices recommending content for the few chances we get to consume it. The films and shows that are the most passionately recommended on this podcast shoot up to the top of my list for things we must watch, although we are still usually six to eight months late to the party. Uh, well, good news, kid A112. The party is basically over <laughs> for, this, this is for the moment, so we're all showing up right around the same time. So please keep up the good work and only make jokes about canceling the podcast. Please don't do it for real. Uh, uh, those jokes are almost as amusing to me as the Cal Art classroom jokes. My two favorite <laughs> friends. Uh, thank you very, very much for your review. I feel like increasingly our target audience is uh, exhausted, blinkered parents of young children who are looking for a way to stay connected to pop culture. Um, and uh, we are happy to have you. Uh, you can relate to my struggle right now with my very tired looking son. very sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> At my nips. He, he thinks he wants. He thinks he wants to sleep, and then you're going to put him in his bed, and he's going to be like, "Wait, that's not what I said." Yeah, we think he's suffering from. I know it's hard for a lot of people out there to imagine how someone could cry missing my presence, hmm. but you feel like he is suffering from a pretty intense bout of separation anxiety now that he's developing object permanence. Uh, it's because he's doing fine it's until the moment we lie him down in his crib, uh, and he just loses his mind because he knows that mom and dad are stepping out of the room. Asa, you look so tired right now. It's crazy. Asa, leave an iTunes review. Come leave on. an iTunes review. Leave an iTunes review. Yes. Oh, he's smiling. No, he's rubbing his eyes. Yeah. Uh, David, do you need to go put Asa to sleep or are you going to stick around? Man, Asa is rubbing his uh, eyes so hard. I feel like he just saw Clash of the Titans in 3D converse. Oh, no. Oh. Hey. Uh, well, why don't I do the, the first part of our pandemic check-in and then I'll, <laughs> I'll mute and put Asa to sleep. At some point, our uh, our, our mailbags have ended, I guess. Yeah, leave us so, a review. And Dave, oh yeah, please do leave us a review on I iTunes. Better get the work. We're into our pandemic check-in now. Big big week in the world, and all. Uh, we touched on everything that's happening a little bit last week, and uh, now it's all over. Just kidding. I'm sure we will be revisiting. I'm glad it's still uh, happening. Isn't it great? 
it is wonderful, and I hope it continues for a very, very, very long time. We have to keep the momentum going. I was so pleased to bring Asa to his second protest of his young life already today. Uh, the people around us chanted babies for the revolution. It was actually a really beautiful moment. <laughs> um, but uh, um, Do they make Molotov I- cocktails for bombing police cars with baby bottles or is it just uh, uh baby bottles they made don't, out of plastic they won't break effectively oh, Molotov cocktails uh dave can you promise me that this this episode is going up on friday and not before what no uh, you're not allowed to break the embargo for the last of us part two i'm not breaking the embargo we're not, not allowed yeah. to hold this episode for the embargo yeah. of last no, of us part two. do that next I week I'm not making this a segment. I'm just being honest about the media that I've consumed over the last few days. You're just not uh, stop Dave, playing it. Dave, can you answer the question? No, we're not holding. I'm, I'm putting my foot down. I, I'm allowed to divulge that I have been obsessively playing The Last of Us Part Two. <laughs> I guess I am not allowed to share any opinion whatsoever. Although I do, on a future episode, want to talk about video game embargoes, which is a wild and wacky world to me um, and uh, is very, very intense in a way that uh, really blew my hair back, even after years and years of being familiar with the stringencies of movie embargoes. Uh, But I guess beyond The Last of Us 2 and just uh, taking in everything that has been happening in the world and that hasn't really left time for much else, uh, what content have I been... uh, Lisa and I started watching Peaky Blinders. Have any of you guys watched that? Uh, I get yelled at by Java for not watching Peaky Blinders like at least once a week. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not totally sold on it so far. I mean, I love the milieu. Killian Murphy's great. I, we just started season two where Tom Hardy plays uh, a very Tom Hardy-esque Orthodox Jew, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which means that he just beats the shit out of people, but it's also an Orthodox Jew. He like There's this one scene where he comes in and he like beats a guy within an inch of his life just so that he has more authority to tell all of his new hirees that they are not allowed to touch Jewish women. Uh, like a part of me is sort of, <laughs> there's this weird pride that's so that a part of me is horrified. Um, and a part of me is, is just grateful that Netflix has subtitles because Tom Hardy is speaking. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm not totally on board with the show. I have to say, I think Elisa likes it a little bit more than I do so far. I find it kind of, uh, I don't like when they go, blinders. Yeah, I love saying, are we the Peaky Blinders? Yeah. The Peaky Blinders. All of our British listeners just unsubscribed. (laughs) Well, good, because the Peaky Blinders are coming for you, yeah? Uh, But uh, I think the second part is more like Australian uh, rug. (laughs) Whatever. Um, It's fine. It's a little too plotty for me so far. I think the first season, which is six hours long, six episodes, feels like it covers what should have been, you know, 12 episodes. Uh, it's a problem that I, I find really hard to get over with TV shows. It's why I checked out of something like Riverdale very early. It's when they churn through plot too fast. I, I get a little bit tuned out. Um, so Piggy Blind, we watched Con Air. We've been watching movies on Saturday Ooh, night. Con Air. Uh, he says Con Air. Into, uh, the action movies that you missed from the 90s. And, you know, Con Air has its moments. It has It doesn't have incredible- a lot of action, right? It does not have a lot of action. All the action is kind of quaint by today's standards, which I enjoy. A lot of fiery explosions, Simon West doing his thing. Of course, there's Nick Cage being like, I'm coming today, I'm coming home to see my little girl, you know. Um, but uh, Steve Buscemi, who plays a serial killer who's killed 30 people, he tells us at one point he drove through two states wearing some woman's head as a hat, which logistically <laughs> I struggle to follow. But the movie also gives him a happy ending, which is insane. Um <laughs> But uh, 
uh, and that doesn't, it didn't really, there's something very perfunctory about the storytelling. Simon West, not really at the level of like a peak Michael Bay. Uh, it doesn't really hold up um, Ooh, as fun as I don't know, when they like, land that plane in Las Vegas Strip, that's cool. What? And then they immediately get on like police uh, motorcycles and chase after Cyrus the virus. I mean, it's great seeing Dave Chappelle and Bing Rames and John Malkovich and John Cusack and all that stuff, but it, it doesn't really hold up like your Air Force yeah, One. It's really like and, a Robert Altman action movie, isn't it? Just like get a bunch of great actors uh, in a plane. Would we say that? Would we invoke the ghost of the late Robert Altman? <laughs> Robert Altman did love to get a bunch of great actors on a plane. He was famous right. for that. <laughs> um, and. Uh, what else did we watch, Asa? We watched uh, all of Eyes Wide Shut. It's been on Showtime for the umpteenth wow. time. Oh, you're closing your eyes? Oh. Uh, his eyes are wide shut. His eyes are wide shut. Uh, that movie has that effect on babies, but that's <laughs> uh, Well, I guess I'll take this chance to put him in the crib. I really have been vo- devoting most of my media energy to that thing that I've been shouted down by my co-hosts that we're not allowed to next talk about week? until next yeah. I got to watch yeah, the talk about it next I'm, week. I, I, I promise to watch a... Uh, playthrough not a playthrough i'll watch the the like not scenes. the let's play but the movie yeah the, the movie the cut movie scenes version of the oh, original last of us i've never owned a playstation oh, so I, I'm not that's true that. honestly I'll, I'll do that too this is my commitment so, in, in honor of the four-year anniversary of playing warcraft i will watch cut scenes <laughs> the last of us. please don't mention the last of us in warcraft the same breath ever again yeah a wider interest to this podcast uh the last of us is now in the process of being adapted for uh, as an hbo series that is going to be showrun by chernobyl showrunner uh, craig mazin uh, and directed now we learned today by the uh, guy who directed chernobyl and uh so hopefully that that makes it into the sphere of, of interests of your katie riches of the world um <laughs> If That's the words the video la- game adaptations, if you want to like catch up with the source material at all, what are you supposed to do? You can't get a PlayStation. Thank you. Play Last Thank of you. Us. you have this to watch the YouTube cut. And I, I, I will. I would think of all, of all the games that have ever been made. There must be a a uh, comprehensive oh, yeah. scene cut of The Last of Us on YouTube. But uh, I, I'm just I'll just plant the seed. If the words The Last of Us mean anything to any of you out there, tune in for at least next week, possibly the next two, for uh, some some discussion. Anyway, I'm going to go put this now unconscious bun uh, in his crib and hope he stays. Uh, carry on. All right, here we go. Katie, what have you been uh, consuming? Oh, I feel like a failure at this question every single time uh, <laughs> because I don't watch much. Why, um, why doesn't life allow us to watch things? I don't Oh, I can't imagine what's going on in our lives that makes it difficult. Oh. Um, Charlie has been watching Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Um, really? Which Ooh. is great. It's on Netflix. It's really funny. Uh, it remains funny. I mean, I've Wait. had a soft spot for it since I saw it. Can Wait, we what? talk about this movie for a second? I am sure. actually afraid of watching Lauren and Miller movies with my kid. Um, I mean, she's two and a half and not, I don't think anyone's brain is ready for the, the way that their animation and their comedy moves. And I'm trying to figure out like what, at what age is that appropriate? I, 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 I think I of think the Lego movie. Mm, we haven't More. done Lego movies. Spider Verse, I definitely don't think he's ready for. Like, you get to the end of that movie. That and, movie's like, scary, is, intense. Yeah, but animation. even the animation, like, it moves really fast. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I don't think is quite so intense. It's like a lot of like really big food, but it's filmed kind of like a disaster movie. Like, it's made to parody that. Um, so you get silly things like pancakes landing on a school in a spaghetti tornado, but it's not like the jokes move fast. But I don't think the animation is too bad. And it's on Netflix, so you can try it. Kind of low stakes. 
Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm I'm more worried about the Lego movie and like everything is Austin awesome and how spastic yeah. that is and yeah, everything is Austin. Austin. Everything is Austin. Keep it weird. Uh, yeah. So start with uh. Oh, there's a roach in here. Oh, I don't like you this. have those down in North Carolina. Are you I thought kidding? You mo- moved away. Oh from my that. god! No, roaches here are tw- like twenty Twice. times bigger than New York City sea roaches. They're so big. Uh, Joe's apartment sequel. Ooh, Katie's a. <laughs> he just climbed south. behind. No, in the south, they what is he fly singing? too. They, they fly. You know, yeah, they fly. Roaches. Not not all of them, but some of them do. They're off. They fly now. Yeah. They, they're singing tequila. Huh. Just, do, 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 Wait, do, was that a do. Rise of Skywalker quote? Uh, they fly now. <laughs> the single, maybe the single worst line in the Star Wars movie since uh, the whole grain of sand thing and Attack of the Clones. They fly now. I saw that. They used that line in a preview clip on like Good Morning yes, America. Yes. It was like the first big out. clip. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is going to be difficult. Boy. Oh God. Rise uh, of there's, Skywalker. There's flying rats and Cloudy for the Chance of Meatballs. They're funny. Ooh. Are they crossed with the food? Why, were they, why do they fly? No, they're like one of his previous inventions. Like they're flying rats and they like pop up now and then. I mean, what Lord and just have such a great way with jokes where like you, you forget about something just in time and it comes back in as a callback. Um, that movie's great. Uh, What's Opera Doc is now on HBO Max, as we discussed a little while ago. Someone tweeted it at me, which was great. Um, and I showed that to Charlie, and then he asked, he requested it again, the one where they sing, which was very gratifying. Um, where did you, movie. where do you, why does that hold a place in your heart? Where did you, do you remember I watching it? In, it? I, no, I took an animation class in college, and it was one of the like Looney Tunes examples that we watched. I'm sure I had seen it. Like Looney Tunes, I watched in reruns on Nickelodeon, like most of us did, I think. So it just kind of like watched whatever was there. Um, but then I watched about Chopper Doc in college. It's just so like funny and also like, you know, if you, as a kid you're introduced to Wagner and then 20 years later you're like, oh, I know this song. Like, it seems like something you should know. And also, I'm sure we've talked about this, that, like, kids don't watch reruns now the way that we did and they don't watch, like, whatever is on. So I take a specific joy in, in, in showing Charlie something older. Yeah, that's where still are kids today but- learning about anti-Semitic composers of uh, epic ring cycles <laughs> and such? I mean, so, you know, the songs, the, the tunes from Wagner, they hold up, man. The anti-Semitism was not included in the Looney Tunes adaptation. <laughs> I'm glad What's Opera Doc was part of uh, round two or whatever. I know. I don't. I, I don't. Still don't really rounds. understand what they're doing with it. But I was glad that was on there. Uh, and then for Little Gold Men this week, I watched Do the Right Thing uh, because it is topical. Really? Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about Do the Right Thing connects to our current moment? How is it topical for you? I mean, um, I'm sure you talked about for this me one. for me personally. Well, we haven't Local we haven't Man. recorded Local Men yet, but oh. you can listen to it. Um, but I mean, for a show that's about the Oscars, if you want to like respond to weeks of protests related to police brutality against black people, do the right thing is kind of the beginning and the end uh, because the Oscars don't have a great track record for uh, recognizing. Wait, didn't like someone that. go on stage and be like, "Why is Spike Lee not nominated for Do the Right Thing at the Oscars?" Yes, what is that story? Yeah. Um, hang on. So it was in a piece that Cam Collins wrote for us uh, for Vanity Fair. Um, about wasn't Jane Fonda. Was it, was no, it and it wasn't Faye Dunaway. It was another actor. Is it- wait, what's her name from LA Confidential? Um, uh, it was Kim Basinger. Yeah. Yes. Um, you, wow. Do you remember this? Kim Basinger. Was it? Yeah, it was. Wow. Yes, Katie can attest. I didn't look anything up for that. That wow. was straight from the noggin. So when you think of do the right thing, you think of Kim Basinger. That's that's right. Uh, appropriate. <laughs> This is exactly what you should do. 
Um, no, because Do the Right Thing was like a really big phenomenon. It won the Grand Prix at Cannes, I think, and then it got nominated for Supporting Actor for Danny Aiello and uh, Screenplay, both of which it lost. So, you know, a classic and not at all uncommon example of the really big landmark interesting, pushing Hollywood forward movie, not getting what it deserved at the Oscars. And uh, uh, Cam wrote about it a couple of years ago. Well, right I mean, Green Book beat Black Klansman for Best Picture. So history kind of... can't argue. Uh, you know, Driving Miss Daisy, which beat Do the Right Thing for Best Picture, an, unimpe- an unimpeachable uh, progressive classic. Oh, yeah. I mean, we also I talk about Driving Miss Daisy. Taught, taught in, taught of, in uh, film schools. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Do the Right Thing is like a really great portrait of a story street in a neighborhood and it's funny and all of the characters (laughs) remain like really vivid and you feel like you can watch it again and again and like pick out a different character to follow a portrait of a street on fire oh i thought this was all building to a but driving in miss daisy is the better (laughs) film (laughs) no i like because i think what you remember about do the right thing is the end where a riot breaks out and mookie throws the trash can through the window and like all and then you know the a character spoilers who do the right thing uh is choked by the police which i i had forgotten how vivid that is and um you know watching it this week it really hits in a way that you know it probably has hit over and over again for various audiences in different ways but it was especially hard to watch in this past week um but it's it's amazing to watch this movie that came out in 1999 and being like oh all of it is there like right down to discussions of like whether looting is justified um it's it's all the same conversation we've been having forever which i think is part of the valid frustration of activists as like you know white people like me kind of try to talk about issues of police brutality more seriously um but it is it is all that stuff topical and also just a really fun and funny and um bracing movie to watch and um every outfit that rosie perez wears in this movie is a work of art that's it in addition to to seconding uh, obviously that recommendation can i give a shout out to spike Lee's maybe Slightly less relevant, but still uh, still relevant in a, in, a, in a less urgent way. But uh, underappreciated film Summer of Sam, which is another portrait in a much different context. No one talks uh, about this movie. Yeah, I saw that uh, movie like when it came out. It might have been the first Spike Lee sure, movie, movie yeah. I ever saw, which is weird. To uh, about. But New New York in the the throes of of conflict, being you know overheated, it's sort of at the boiling point. Um, and uh, not not really as pertinent to what's happening in the here and now, uh, and already close to it as do the right thing. But um, uh, an interesting double bill for sure. Uh, yeah, I would like to rewatch summer. Yeah, I hope we I hope we talk about Spike Lee and talk about the the new movie coming to Netflix, The Five Bloods, uh, out next week. I'm sure it's long. I'm sure it's epic size. Can I watch a YouTube? Uh, <laughs> Clip down of the first four bloods. Uh, Somehow, the, the five bloods is a solid two and a half hours long. Um, well, let's so, do yeah, it. Do, not, do the right thing. Comes I'm in at two. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited to dig into his work again. The Olivier Megaton film I had to watch Ooh. on Netflix last Friday that they didn't even give to critics to review, which for a Netflix movie is especially damning. The Last Days of American Crime is also two hours and twenty minutes. Woo. Long. Wow! And uh, I I would like That's to take three director Olivier. Last days of American Crime Challenge, which is how long can you make it into the last days of American Crime before you decide that life is too short and pull the ripcord? Are you so glad that the days of American Crime are indeed over? Like that movie yeah, ended no, they, it. They are done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as soon as I finally made it, the first human. I believe I was the first human to make it to the closing <laughs> credits. Uh, they, the crime was over. My God, uh, Dave, what, what, are you, what are you watching? 
Oh, what am I watching? Um, uh, watching wise, uh, I think the one thing that we're not going to talk about in segment three or later on is I was like, just for some comfort watching, I will, you know, just pop into like one of my favorite or a couple of my favorite Avatar, the last Airbender <sighs> episodes and blink and all of a sudden i'm almost done with season two uh 20 minutes <laughs> Republic city dispatch is, sidebar 20 20 minutes is a perfect length uh for a serialized uh story and i think it's interesting that we've we're, we've kind of like gone through the ages of like that became because of commercials and now there's like streaming and you've seen animated projects sort of like accordion in and accordion out uh, yeah, the Adult Swim uh, period where like a lot of their shows are like eleven minutes, but man, these avatars, even the bad ones, uh, they're just like animated things that are like twenty three minutes. It really is a great serialization uh, length where you just feel like you're checking in with people. One or more characters have like a little shift in perspective, and then you you get get on with the episode. They're always I learning. Really like it. They're always learning. Yeah. On that show. Well, it's always it's. It takes a very long time to move the characters from point A to point B. Each book is about, like, and, you know, mastering, quote-unquote, a different element, and the Avatar. All this is explained to you in the opening of the series. Uh, but in terms of the care taken in, like, the world-building and with each of the individual characters, uh, the accumulation of it is that you could sit down and be like, I'm just going to watch, like, an hour to, like, rea- relax. And, like, three and a half hours later, you're like, fuck yeah, Toph, queen of the world! <laughs> and so um, that's been really nice. And the other thing I've been doing is I've been reading um, a book called uh, Nobody Does It Better. It's uh, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of James Bond uh, by Mark A. Altman and Edward Gross. And I think it came out earlier this year, late last year, uh, definitely post me to post Spectre. So the I'm only about I'm in the Roger Moore era. Finally, they do a chapter on each movie, and I was really impressed uh, with how this book's written to not only tell the history of the James Bond franchise, but also because there's been a bunch of histories written about the James Bond franchise. This is kind of the first one that has a whole bunch of uh, the female stars or black voices talking about how James Bond and misogyny and racism all sort of evolved along with the movies. And it's been really interesting uh, from like a whole bunch of stories from like um, the female lead in from Russia with love, like basically snacking on chocolates the whole time and not giving a fuck to that made the director really stressed out to like Diana Rigg, uh, so much not liking George Lazenby that she would, you know, like eat garlic before they made out just to make it as hard as possible on him. A whole bunch of interesting takes on James Bond that unlike uh, previous takes on James Bond, which are trying to, you know, say who's the best Bond or, you know, like look at this franchise or which is let's rank all the Bond films really are like stories told through the modern lens about James Bond and film. So I hope this holds up all the way through the Daniel Craig stuff. But definitely for the legacy things, I'm getting a lot of uh, perspectives uh, that I think have been missing from Bond's history. So nobody does it better. Been really enjoying it. Patches, what have you been doing? I will fly through my my watching list. I, again, I'm like, I wish I just had more time. All I want to do is like 
sit and watch a really long movie. Maybe the Bl- yeah. Five Bloods will be that movie for me soon. Uh, I remember, maybe I'll have to rewatch The Irishman or something. Um, this week I watched Thelma and Louise. When was the last time you all hmm. watched Thelma and Louise? I've never seen Thelma and Louise. What? Ooh. I know. Go back. It's now, I believe, on Hulu and Amazon Prime. It's streamable. If you've okay. never seen this film, that is, I mean, obviously has an iconic ending that people probably know just from watching The Simpsons or something, you know? Um, that, Wait, from watching uh, Wayne's World 2, you mean? Or that, in you know, much spoofed uh, ending mm-hmm. to Thelma and Louise. I mean, can I spoil Katie, do you know the ending of Thelma I and Louise? I know how Thelma and okay. Louise ends. Okay, <laughs> double, double, just double checking. I know, you know, I they know. drive off the edge of a cliff. Um, it's interesting. I The people I watched it with were like, some people hadn't seen it, and some people had heard about the ending. Wait, who are you watching movies with? Oh, Patches does this every week. You can you can house party, and you can like. There's ways to connect with people, David. It's hard to believe. Um, We're on one of them. The right point now. is that the ending of the movie, I think, kind of uh, casts a cloud over the whole thing. And one person described it as like it felt like a. It just felt like doom the whole time, where you're just like waiting for this ending to happen. Which I, it's it's kind of an extraordinary experience. I don't remember having that when I first watched it, but this time, my God, it's like the the kind of stark realism of this uh, attempted rape scene and them killing a guy and it's just like it really it's just a powder keg of a movie um that i think would be even more interesting if the writer kelly curry um i mean this is her movie ridley scott directed it but this is her movie she went on to do a bunch of other movies created nashville um she's successful in her own right she's actually married to t-bone burnett she is like a big deal she wrote mad money that was unfortunate um you think she t-bone do i what you think she calls him T-Bone? Yeah, I think she's like... No, I think she calls him Bone. Bone. Um, anyway, this is Kelly Curry's movie, and apparently she wanted to really direct it as like a lower-budget movie, and Ridley Scott was like, I could do it, and, and we could make it a big thing where truckers explode, or, you know, giant trucks explode. And um, it's probably better for that. The vistas are amazing. You get Hans Zimmer's score. Um, but I, I am curious, like, what... Callie Curry or a female director would have brought to Thelma and Lee Louise as iconic as it is as amazing as the two performances are that's what was going through my mind on, on this rewatch um but still pretty pretty stand-up movie gotta say um uh, in the complete opposite realm I've also been watching something called Ultimate Tag is this on anyone's radar um it's not the I movie tag. fresh off pluto tv's american gladiators channel which is 100 percent 24 7 american gladiators episode uh fox is running a show that i got sucked into called ultimate tag which is essentially american gladiators but they're playing tag <laughs> um it's hosted by three nfl players T- jj tj and uh derek watt who are all brothers um that sounds like a night at the roxbury joke are you guys brothers no Yes. Uh, anyway, and they, it's all American Gladiators. It's just American Gladiators, except everyone's wearing flags like it's flag football and they're getting tagged uh, around different courses. It's hilarious. It's amazing. It's some, for some reason, it's an hour long. Doesn't matter. It's joyous. It's rapturous. It's exactly what I want to see after being down in the kind of political social trenches for a long time and, and really devoting myself to that. Um, I, I don't know if this is a time for escapism. I see a lot of that online right now. And like, if you need a little bit of an escape from all this, I don't know if we need a little bit of escape right now. I think we kind of need to be, have our heads underwater and, and living and breathing this moment. But I will say watching ultimate tag uh, at like 10 PM once in a while is not a bad thing. Um, I just feel like that's ultimate tag is one of those things 
when you're on your deathbed and your brain starts cycling through all of the the detritus that's collected up there over the years and you're you're filled with regret for the things you did instead of spending time with your children it's just like 40 percent is ultimate my children were not awake while i was watching ultimate tag i want to be really (laughs) clear um the cool thing about ultimate tag is that so the american gladiators used to be just big bodybuilders who they recruited and and gave names like turbo um they do the same thing on ultimate tag except they're like parkour artists or you know uh, running experts and um so they can be like gangly nerdy people too today we call those joggers (laughs) running people (laughs) running experts uh yeah, so I would recommend watching Ultimate Tag if you need a little bit of a, a diversion, I suppose. Um, yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. Uh, there's not so much time for for watching, I don't think. But that's okay, too. RTJ. The God. The God killer. This Tokyo and I'm Godzilla. Playing Blackjack versus Death Gun on the car dealer. Just bought a demon. I'm screaming about the car dealer. The last temptation of Mike, but I'm a God digger. Tell me as a Hey, that sounds like a lead into my segment. We have gotten really bad at segments. Hi, everybody. <laughs> this is the mini segment. Uh, I'm here to talk to you about why the first ever best animated uh, film Oscar went to something that is like a horrible film that everybody likes today. Uh, I'm talking about the Shrek franchise and how it's a blight on family entertainment. Yes. I specifically set up Light on Family Entertainment because this day and age, as we were just talking about, there's so many streaming options. You get original Looney Tunes. You get new Looney Tunes where they don't have any guns. You get The Simpsons in 4.3 if you have, like, older children. You get that uh, Looney Tunes where they live in a house together that I watch. Oh, my accident. God. I watched two episodes it's of so that just strange. after you told me, and it is really weird. I don't like it at all. But <laughs> really good designs in the sense that Bugs Bunny has, like, a purple outline. They're doing something. They're doing something visually let me take you back to a time in uh the late 90s when computer animation was just coming around and you had two teams basically you had team pixar who had done toy story and had proven that they could do a completely computer-generated animated feature. And you had DreamWorks, which was Jeffrey Katzenberg being like, how can we make money off of 3D animation? And he said, Quibbies! Oh, wait, I'm ahead of my time. <laughs> yeah, you're just so ahead of your time. Um, and the response was this movie called Shrek, which originally Steven Spielberg bought the rights to a children's story about an org who is an asshole. It was an anti-fairy tale. I think Chris Farley going to play... Shrek. Well, good sir, when Steven Spielberg bought it, he wanted it to be uh, 2D animated. Bill Murray would be the org, and Steve Martin would be the donkey. Uh, that became the version uh, where Chris Farley would play a teenaged org who falls for a Janine Garofalo princess with... Uh, Wait, what is this org business? <laughs> dot org. Dot org. He's like an org. ogre. 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 Ogre, org, ogre. I like org. Anyway, well, org and org is, and I'm sure the etym- etymologically there's a reason for this, but an org is too close to an org. Isn't org what they call like the humans day. in AI? That an org. org? I'm probably got it from somewhere. <laughs> anyway, not important. Uh, ogre 
Uh, anyway, Chris Farley is supposed to be a teenage ogre who fell in love with the tree. Jeannie Garofalo, princess, that all like went out the door because Chris Farley died. Uh, they brought in Michael Myers, who insisted on a rewrite of the entire script. He recorded all of it with uh, Eddie Murphy and Cameron Diaz doing some voices. They animated the movie. Then Mike Myers is like, wait, I want it to be Scottish. And with an additional $4 million in extra sh- shoots... Extra shit. Just extra shit. They made it, uh, that happen. Uh, the result is a movie that is extremely poorly animated because no matter how many times they animated it, <laughs> they had to keep going back and redoing it up to the point where, you know, you spend $4 million re-lip-syncing a character to be Scottish. Uh, they didn't have, like, any sort of texture idea, really, of how to make that sort of thing work. The most interesting thing on Shrek is uh, Shrek's jacket, I think, which, uh, anyway... If you go back and you look at the movie, it's ugly. But most importantly, uh, because it was sort of pieced together like this off of a children's book that didn't really have a plot through a whole bunch of different too many cooks in the kitchen, Jeffrey Katzenberg the entire time being like, let's keep this low budget and experimental. The result is something that is so crass and strung together that even when it starts to try to do traditional emotional story beats it doesn't work shrek skates by on fart jokes and making fun of disney which is something that i have seen third and fourth graders successfully do to me as an adult uh the saddest thing about this is it gets nominated for an oscar against monsters inc which is still a high bar in animating hair because Sully's, like, fucking amazing. Plus, Monsters, Inc. has an actual story with actual morals, and the Academy Awards Shrek, which leads to everyone thinking that you could just do a fucking children's movie by stringing together a whole bunch of pop culture jokes with bad animation, and it begets our Ice Ages, it begets our moms needs Mars Needs Momses, it begets everything that's not uh, Disney Pixar. Luckily, <laughs> DreamWorks is able to pivot and do some amazing animation, uh, you know, your How to Train Your Dragon series, etc., Kung Fu Panda series, uh, that are, you know, skillfully directed and written. But unfortunately, the first Shrek, uh, just by nature of not being a Pixar movie, uh, made the illusion of, like, prestige. And so Shrek 2 becomes the highest-grossing American animated film ever. And then Shrek immediately tanks. It isn't until after Shrek Forever After that the internet rescued Shrek as like a brony, ironic, we need to talk about how Shrek actually isn't that bad, made with like YouTube poop and erotic fiction that is not for children, that we get the idea that Shrek was maybe good. But I need to remind you guys, much like I remind people about Brave periodically, it's actually not. Awarding it an Oscar is an affront to animation history. <laughs> Please do not show your children Shrek or Shrek-related products, except Puss in Boots, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're speaking to the choir here, but I do... The only part of this narrative that I question is how significant it was that Shrek won the Oscar, because I think the damage had probably already been done. I'm not saying it helps, but I think uh, the fact that it was already a massive, massive hit and Shrek 2 was inevitable... Um, you know, I think I think the die had been cast, but uh, I mean, yeah. it, I think it winning the first best animated picture Oscar puts it in history in a way that we can't completely ignore it, and so that more is more of a reason why we have to just keep reminding ourselves without necessarily revisiting it. 
you know, we don't have to be like Patches who decides to revisit Crash mere weeks before race, you know, protests break out. But you I'm ever, saying right now, don't watch Shrek. That's that's yeah, what I'm did saying. You ever find yourself thinking that maybe Jeffrey Katzenberg was the weak link in DreamWorks SKG? What about uh, yes. Quibi suggests that? <laughs> did you listen to the podcast where, uh, and I wish I had the name of the podcast on the tip of my tongue so I could shout them out. Um, but there's a podcast that started as a like Quibi fan cast, and then they got a cease and desist letter from Quibi, so they became a podcast motivated by spite to take down Quibi, <laughs> and uh, and then their campaign, which was beloved by uh, staffers at Quibi, uh, led to Jeffrey Katzenberg coming on the podcast to briefly defend in, in bite-sized episodes, appropriately, these like ten-minute episodes. <laughs> defend the quibby business model i listened to uh, both episodes and uh i i i don't think that jeffrey katzberg uh, really you know came off all that well even if he acknowledged it was a mistake to uh to send them a cease and desist letter i it still left me feeling pretty uncertain about I the challenge, quibby business. Uh, any of our listeners actually you could tweet it f-i-t-w-r at me at da 70 <laughs> if you find the interview where jeffrey katzberg comes off well i would love to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but on that note, uh, let's cut to Smash Mouth's All Star. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop. Pops, I'll happy, happily start copying. Do it. Uh, so. We have all been, I mean, Dave, always ahead of the curve, but the, the rest, the wider portion of this podcast, I think, has really recently um, leaped over the final hurdle to become fully radicalized against the idea of having uh, the police force that exists in this country and not simply reforming, but defunding and dismantling. Uh, and uh, as it threatened on last week's episode, I wrote about the documentary, The Force, um, which is is all about these things in the Oakland Police Department. You can find that article on IndieWire and that movie on Netflix. Um, but uh, then just a couple of days later, I was watching Die Hard with a Vengeance on TV. And uh, I turned it on the, the very silly scene now of a woman, a black woman in one of some New York bureaucratic office saying that if such and such is happening, then she's going to marry Donald Trump. And people pointed out to me that, that that line still works. If you just think of it in a different way that, you know, it, it would be a fate worse than death for her to marry Donald Trump and not something which is out of a fairy tale. Um, but, uh, and I was like, Oh, you know, the movie still holds up except for this silly scene. Uh, and then was immediately reminded of something that I had already been thinking about all week long, which is that uh, it doesn't because, you know, Die Hard, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, maybe less so than the original Die Hard in which he uh, is is trying to get over his trauma of like shooting a kid, I think, um, by shooting more people. And uh, but in Die Hard with a Vengeance, of course, he learns that uh, uh, hashtag not all black people are Patty makes friends with Zeus by Samuel L. Jackson. Gets over, it solves racism, John McClane does. Um, in Within the Confines of the NYPD, he is playing a member of the NYPD. Um, but it, of course, uh, all joking aside, raises a very serious issue, of which is something you've probably seen. If you're listening to this podcast, I would imagine you've seen some conversation 
around this over the past week or so, if not before, about the depiction of the police in uh, American entertainment. Um, I think particularly your movies are, are definitely offenders of it, but more regularly in as the heroes of procedurals on television, um, you know, from Law and Order and NYPD Blue, I guess Law and Order, they're, they're uh, attorneys. But I, I don't watch that show. I think they're probably cops in there somewhere, right? Uh, NYPD Blue and all the other procedurals, but also things that seem more benign, like Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, and and how it all sort of works as a, a diffusing shield of some kind uh, to um, diminish the the harm that the police departments have done to communities in this culture, particularly uh, black communities and black people and black bodies and uh, how we need to take back a step back collectively and really evaluate how we depict cops. I saw that Ava DuVernay today just started a fund that sole purpose is going to be to, um, well, police would be a bad choice of words, but to monitor and to, to help um, illuminate the, the role that uh, cops play in our media um, and to make it less one-sided, less val- uh, less heroic, um, to to condition us or decondition us from believing that the the cops are always the people who are going to save you and um, and that's all well and good but I think it's you know it, I guess the overall question that I'll open up the table is you know how is this going to affect the canon so to speak uh, will you be able to casually enjoy an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine which Nine 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 which is still on the air. Um, in on some channel or another, I know it's bounced around. I couldn't tell it's you. On NBC now. NBC, it's back to NBC, or was it, it was, was on Fox? About, no, it was on, it was on Fox. Fox. I watched it on Hulu. Um, but uh, or uh, and, and just other things. I mean, I think you know, there's also a long history of movies about dirty cops uh, that are not such flattering portraits. There are um, your your bad lieutenants, um, which are you know completely off the wall um, and. Yeah, but uh, I guess I guess going forward, I am certain that we're going to see a change in the way that the police are depicted on a screen, particularly in movies. I think it's going to be a slower ship to turn on the television side of things. Um, well, the relationship between cops and TV and cops and movies feels so different, too. Like, yeah, I mean, I think in co- in movies they have the the bandwidth and the leeway to make cops a little bit more morally ambiguous. Uh, because in the span of a 90 or 100 minute movie, they can go down that road a little bit more than needing if, a cop if, anchor a show that lasts for seven seasons. Cho- if they choose to, but if it's a cop based popcorn movie, there's actually less nuance. As I discovered, well, you, they this barely weekend. scan as as cops in most of those movies, right? Like even John. Well, McCann. I mean, like okay, so like I watched Demolition Man also on Hulu. Hey Hulu, you're having a good fighting in the war room. Huge Almost lunch. as good as Pluto TV please, this week. Please sponsor us. Um, uh, but I was watching Demolition Man uh, because uh, we I was it was already on my mind because they live in a society that doesn't have a lot of physical contact and they don't have any fluid transfer and kissing and sex and anything like that. So I was thinking, let's watch this movie for pandemic reasons. Wouldn't it be funny? Uh, because I also remember like watching it as a kid. It came out in 1993, so I'm like, cool. Let's pop on Demolition Man. It starts with a title that says 1996 and the Hollywood signs on fire and LA is controlled by one black gangster played by Wesley Snipes. And I'm like, Oh, this came out in 1993. 
oh, fuck, this is all about the riots. And then <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, the police officer who blows things up to stop criminals, gets transported into an all-white future <laughs> where they take that black, that same singular black criminal who's essentially doing like a Joker. Wesley Snipes is doing a great job at playing this character as like super fun. And he's like definitely the villain because he's like killing people and being racist but also he's like the most fun to watch for most of the movie so you're kind of fun watching it anyway <laughs> demolition unthaw- man radicalized you into identifying with the villain because you couldn't get done with the cops maybe maybe that's how it happened uh but then i you know they unthaw uh sylvester stallone in 2030 something when it's like the future and everything's been sort of like uh made this like very mild dystopia where everything is bad for you salt sugar swearing has all been outlawed uh, that sort of thing. And the sort of the the moral of the film is this cop from the era where you could just shoot the bad guy and blow up the building he was in needs to come and teach this nicer era where police don't have deadly weapons uh, to, um, you know, fix their fucking society. Uh, so it's one of those like the rare movies that like it's. It shows me a police force that seems friendlier, but it's existing amongst a dystopia where you're chipped by the government. And so, like, you're kind of on Sylvester Stallone's side. But if you stop and you go back to the beginning of the movie, Sylvester Stallone is a single white cop who doesn't care about fucking property damage, who's on a crusade to stomp out black gangs in L.A. So, like, definitely not the hero. He goes to prison for murdering people which we learn later he was probably set up for but that doesn't blank out the fact he blew up the building with all the people in it i don't know demolition man it's weird because it doesn't it it isn't allowed to exist even with something like you know bad lieutenant the movie isn't about the cop's mindset it's about like this science fiction like commenting on society thing and it just comes back to like don't we want this cop that could just punch people in the face and blow up the building they're in? And that's that sort of narrative seems weird and irresponsible. Also, right before this, two weekends ago, our live watch uh, for the Storm Patreon was we all watched Bad Boys. Oh, boy. Uh, the Michael Bay film. B- before uh, any protests started. So we kind of like got in right under the wire there. <laughs> the last people to enjoy Bad Boys in history. Yeah, I mean, basically. The, the highest grossing film worldwide currently in 2020 is Bad Boys for yeah. Life. That, that's uh, true. Oh, fuck. But it was also weird that... Asa, like, Asa did not react kindly to that oh, news. Asa, oh, Asa, buddy, no. I'm sorry about the world. 40 minutes the- Bad Boys is another movie where it doesn't have the time to have the nuance to even talk about policing or talk about the fact that they're black police or talk about the fact that it's in Miami outside of the fact that that's where the drugs and the boats are. Uh, it's like, it's odd how these narratives (laughs) exist without acknowledging the copness of it. And now all of a sudden that's the first thing I think. Wait, who, who on this call has seen bad boys for life? David has, has anyone, has anyone else? David, correct me if I'm wrong. Bad boys for life sees the two guys joining like a militarized part of the, of the cop force. Like the young kids have super guns and computers to infiltrate uh, yes, I mean it's like Vanessa Hudgens and someone else. Like I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember the details, but yeah, they are super militarized. It it is in the abstract representative of everything 
we need the police departments in this country not right. to Right. They're so militarized uh, that they can run a covert operation in Mexico. I believe they leave the country and they do. The the end of the film. and take like <laughs> Black Hawk helicopters and giant guns down to another country. That's how See, ready they are to fight a war. Isn't this why we need the Fast and Furious movies where Dominic Toretto are like this extra legal set of like, yeah, uh, the, of, like but they're not related to any real life the Rock force, a so cop in that movie? But he's we're going to replace the police force with hashtag family. Yeah, wait. The Rock, I think, is an FBI agent, but then in, they in spun Fast him Five off now, so they can they can yeah. just destroy the Hobbs and Shaw franchise. Yeah, so like the real life police can be disbanded, and we'll let Dominic Toretto take care of the rest. Oh wow! And you know, true to true to true to sort of the arc of you know this country these days, or it seems to be going. Paul Walker starts that franchise, of course, as an undercover police officer, and becomes, if you will, radicalized. By his experiences with Dominic, <laughs> by Toretto. his desire to and, help steal, cars? Uh, and he leaves. He leaves the police department and becomes just a member of their crew. Did, did they steal uh, cars in the beginning of Fast and Furious? I can't remember. They steal. They do. CD players in the first movie. They, well, yeah. they steal. They steal a lot of things. They all get into race wars and such. But they. Uh, they. Uh, race wars I don't think race there. wars is what you meant to say. <laughs> no, isn't it called? Is that called a it race called, war? No, you, mean like a, race. you mean like a car race, right? Yes. No, but of course I mean a car race and not a race <laughs> war. But I think it's called like the race that they're all trying to compete in the race desert war. is called like. No, I know a lot of things to start a race war. It can't be called race war or else I would have been laughing about that for the last 20 years. What's it called? Fuck. It's something like that. Um, anyway, uh, he and he and they become do-gooders eventually. You know, by the time Fast and Furious, the fourth film in the franchise, comes around. I think he's still a cop. That's the movie where he really is this franchise. That's the one in Mexico. Aren't they like liberating like drug Fast cartel victims or something? Movie. It starts the, the great right. opening. It's race season. wars plural. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's what I said. Bad. That is what I said. They need to fix that. I mean, it's maybe, maybe uh, it's a joke on you. Maybe they're. I think it's. I think it's just the joke that went over my head yeah. for twenty years. <laughs> um, but uh, not to give any credit to Rob Cohen. But um, the yeah, and so by the time Fast Five rolls around, if I remember correctly, you know Paul Walker's character is totally uh, divorced from the cops, and now yeah. Dwayne Johnson, who represents the authority, is the is one of the, the main antagonists in the yeah. movie. Um, so maybe it does. But then they become late. I mean, but they they do partner with the U.S. government a lot yeah. in like fate, the garbage movie Fate of the Furious and to catch well, sight. Like, but that's. No, the Fast and the Furious is what we're asking for. What we're saying is, if there is a specific threat to the citizenry that has to do with driving fast cars and shooting big guns, then you bring in the specialist of driving fast cars and shooting big guns. You don't equip the regular police with super fast cars that shoot missiles and shit. Like no, no, yeah, no, no. Get ludicrous to make something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, like, I'm for this. Plan. That's. Um, yeah, I, bring in the Fast and Furious. The interesting thing is, I, I mean, I obviously movies have, have valorized police for a hundred years. Um, but I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's the movies that have worked on people in a negative way. Um, certainly John McClane and the Die Hardisms that I, I see that as having a negative impact on, on culture and the perception of, of cops as, as heroes in a way that is, complete fiction um but i do think television and serialized storytelling um i'd i'd say cop cop shows yeah 24 certainly um but even like our cop he's not a cop he's like a he's CIA. agent oh, of ctu i mean he's I a cop he's a CIA. 
right. Jack, we should be using cop in the broadest, in the broader sense, not Jack in the Bauer is such department. a cop, he doesn't go to the bathroom for the entire run of the series. <laughs> Justice doesn't have time for, for taking a shit, all right? Um, but there's something about serialized storytelling from, from cop shows to the Punisher comic books, which have obviously become a point of identification for for cops around America. They're wearing the Punisher symbol, uh, probably having never read Punisher comic books. That it's it's the it's the percussive uh, element of these things. Watching them every day and seeing them all the time. I feel like television has led to the valorization or the the acceptance of cops more than movies ever will. But now I'm trying to think. Cop shows are were so ubiquitous. Maybe even more in the '90s and, and before then that I'm, I'm struggling to think of like what are the cop shows that we think worked on people the hardest or just made made them common. Place is it like Law um, and Order? Or well, uh, Law and Order, Cops, Twenty Four, um, uh, Cops. Really, last week on Little Gold Men, um, Tanana Reeve Do. I did an interview with her. She's a um, a screenwriter and a professor and is an expert in horror movies. But she was talking to me about how she loves old radio dramas and she has listened to all of the radio Gunsmoke. episodes of Dragnet. Oh yeah, Dragnet. Um, which started off as a radio show, and she pointed out that the cops are never wrong on Dragnet. Like, no. and if they oh. are wrong, it's either someone pretending to be a cop or like the people say that they're wrong and they turn out to not be wrong in the end. Like, I think modern uh, cop shows have you know gotten away from that to some extent, but the whole idea of like the crusading for justice cop uh, is it, like, as you're saying, Patches is incredibly old and it sets up this idea of like the cop as the hero that I think, you know, for those of us whose primary interactions with the police are more in fiction than in real life. Like that is, I know way more about cops from television than I do from real life and television right, is telling me that they're right all, and fighting for justice. And the propaganda of it all aligns with the white experience of interacting with cops yeah. where you know, it's all sort of a, uh, a circuit that is closed. Um, but there have been movies that come to mind that have pushed back against the propaganda of it. Maybe not, you know, meaning to push back on the propaganda, but have at least complicated the depiction of cops in media. I think not always particularly good movies, but um, that have sort of challenged the, the unchecked power that we give our increasingly militarized police. I think of things like End of Watch. Hmm. Uh, there was a bail movie called like Harsh Times that I think all of the day uh, hire films. Right, exactly. Yeah, that, that you know, credit to David Iyer. I, 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 I can't bring Bright into this conversation. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, I'm not emotionally prepared to. Wait, do we that, already but. talked about orgs, and now we're talking about orcs. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 we can, we can evaluate Bright down the line. But and even something like uh, Training Day, which is a movie that I haven't seen in a while, but would probably be interesting to look at through the lens of what's happened recently. You obviously have Denzel Washington, who is the, the corrupt cop in that movie, is a black man, and Ethan Hawke, who's the fresh-faced trainee, who's questioning uh, everything that, that Denzel Washington does to blur the line between cop and criminal. Um, but it is, I mean, I, yeah, I can't really speak to it in particular. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but it is a portrait of a police, who's sort of, a policeman who's sort of drunk on his own power, and it's more about his power trip than... But- uh, and he becomes a greater threat to the city of Los Angeles than any of the people he's going after. But it's a real, I mean, as far as I remember from Training Day and a lot of the things we're talking about, you the, the, the one bad apple sense kind of comes into right. it. Like, the, like yeah, this is not, a person who is a bad cop, but I, 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 there's very few movies I can think of that have a sense of like the police themselves as a threat uh, right. and operating on bad faith. Like, uh, well, actually, I don't know. I don't think Copland casts the police as 
a threat, but it does sort of texture the, the difficulties they may have, the interpersonal difficulties, especially serving in a jurisdiction that is not where they live and how that can uh, raise animosity and make them dehumanize the people that they are sworn to serve and protect. Yeah, James Mangold but, had a good Twitter thread about Copland um, last yeah. week, I guess. Well, Weinstein didn't but want he, him to tell that. I love how Harvey Weinstein just keeps coming back from uh, the, not the great. Yeah. It is it is the one bad Apple thing, and uh, you know Ethan Hawke is like the good guy. I think in Training Day, it's sort of understood that Denzel Washington's character is uh, a menace and. Uh, it's permitted by some of the other people in this department sure. who are maybe afraid of him. And Ethan Hawke has to find the, the courage to stand up to it. But, um, and I can't remember what happens to him at the end of the movie. If he stays in the police force or if he's like, fuck it. Ethan Hawke? Uh, yeah. I don't remember. He walks yeah. away from Denzel Washington, but I don't remember. Oh, sure. Well, Denzel Washington was dead. Was he dead? Ooh, I think so. Day. He's like, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. And then I think he meets the same. Then King, same Kong, then King, King Kong, Kong gets him. <laughs> He, he shot. shot at the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> yeah, <that's weird. laughs> um, no, but I, I think about like um, the end of Get Out, where it has established the language uh, well enough that when the cop car arrives, you feel this dread, like you you right. are worried that our hero is going to get falsely blamed, and then it's like a, a fantastic joke when Little Royal Howery steps out of it. Um, there are just there are very few movies I can think of. I'm sure there are plenty that I haven't seen. And Do the Right Thing also has the sense of the cop car arriving, bringing dread. But there, there's not it's not a lot of that. Not a lot where like the presence of the police and, is not seen as like ah, order will be restored. Right, but all of these movies exist, and we still uh, we're only having the reckoning now. I find that to be so strange that um, we've kind of just accepted accepted that police brutality exists and the corruption exists, and it's like part of the institution that we've we've just decided exists. I mean, one of the reasons we were talking about shrek is because shrek 2 was going viral this week because it includes a scene where a bunch of knights i mean essentially the police and this were like bashing donkey is that right dave like what Every, everyone they <laughs> oh, grind what? pepper directly in the puss in boots face uh before shoving him up against a wall it's a whole goof on police brutality and in a in yeah, shrek he- 2 you could YouTube it, uh, search for uh, Knights, because it's based off Cops, the police show. Right. So right. If, you, if you Google <laughs> Knights Shrek 2, you could see it and not have to watch any Shrek movies. And, and it's so, the idea that the corruption exists is so accepted that, uh, that Shrek 2 could make a joke about it. And yet, only now do we seem to be really having the final like revolt against this institution. It's, it's baffling. Like, none of these movies were ever t- able to make they felt like too much like entertainment or they felt too much like one bad apple stories. I, I, well, because like, I think there was a lot of effort by mostly white people and by establishment figures being like, well, you know, there are bad cops and like, we need to like change things. But like, you know, the police are here to serve and protect. Like they are an institution. We need cop movies the same way we need lawyer movies or doctor movies. Um, and I think it's only been now that um, there's been more widespread discussion of what we talked about. The idea that like the police are not essential. Like we do not have to have cops and we do not have to have cops in our entertainment and well, I, I don't know that of, i don't think that ever occurred to me that we could just not have cop shows before and i think dragnet is a really interesting reference because i think a lot of these uh, pernicious stereotypes and, and images go back to the days of mayberry when mm-hmm. we think of cops. And, you know as we especially like a, a white uh viewership thinks of cops as people in uh, collared shirts that carry batons and aren't even armed with with guns mm-hmm. and you know are there at your local automat or diner whatever the fuck and you know looking over your hedges and making sure that uh 
uh, whatever the cops did in Mayberry, making sure no black people move into town. I mean, whatever racist bullshit in they Dragnet, were doing. I believe like one of the first episodes is just handcuffing like someone on LSD in the park. Yeah, Classic I mean, and, and that was a really calming image for white people that I think the police departments, as they accumulated power as unions formed and so forth, were able to weaponize against other communities, knowing that they were so deeply entrenched in the, the hearts and minds and, and fear of the white viewership that they were able to get away with it. Um, and so I think Dragnet is maybe as, you know, the most helpful. Someone is speaking of, I'm hearing fireworks, gunshots, something that's at my neighborhood. I thought it was going to be Asa kicking the wall and being like, I'm awake, <laughs> I'm back. Well, the, the first come the fireworks, then come Asa mm. kicking. Uh, but um, yeah, the uh, yeah, I think that like it would probably be any comprehensive look at the way the cops have been depicted in 20th century American uh, imagery, I think needs to have a, a huge focus on um, things that happened before 1960. Let me. So, wait. I have one kind of wrap up question, unless, yeah. so, unless you have a point. About Is it who's watching Kindergarten Cop? Because I'm really curious. Is that, that's, on some, that's on a streaming service that I have. It's like HBO Max. I guess it's not Disney. I'm Fox. watching it Kindergarten is- Cop 2, which stars some. WWE wrestler. I think they made it a few years ago. Um, here's my wrap-up question. I saw people kind of chattering about this on Twitter, and I think it's a good point. Maybe maybe cop shows will start going away. Maybe the reckoning will come to Hollywood, and people will... Uh, all of CBS will somehow dissolve. Um, and hopefully it does, because the good fight is really anti-cop, and uh, it's on CBS All Access. So hopefully the char- the scorched earth will leave room for the good fight. Um, what What... What is the procedural? Does the procedural continue on? What does a procedural without being entrenched in in cop land look like? And my example to all of you to kick that final remarks off would be, you know what the best procedural of all time is? Murder, she wrote. Because yeah, Jessica, yeah, we we Jessica Fletcher we says, fuck you, cops. You want to take the innocent people down, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to solve the mystery for you because you are schmucks. That is how you do it in the post-comp world. Jessica Fletcher. Old also, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel it strengthened my decision to, to have the only procedural that I've really invested any time in over the last few years be ER. Mm-hmm. Um, although police are presented somewhat benevolently in that show as they wheel people into the ER. A journalism but, procedural. I can't, I'm sure there has been a version of this that I can't think of, but like something that's like for like, not real about journalism, but like an idealized version of like newspaper reporting that maybe existed 30 years ago. Um, but you treat it like a cop show and you like have a different mystery every week. I'd watch that. Aaron Sorkin's ears are burning. How about a procedural yeah. about why no. we published that Tom Cotton op yet? <laughs> <laughs> I want something to feel good about. I want like low stakes journalism of like figuring out who. You want uh, Aaron Brockovich, the show. Yeah, I mean, I want truly like, I mean, I guess what I want is like the journalism version of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a show that I love and really have not yet figured out if I will be ready to go back to. Someone tweeted Um, at Dave that the next season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine should just take the entire cast and put them into a new occupation. I've seen versions of that. Just make them uh, postal service employees with no explanation That sounds hilarious. Yeah. Uh, School teachers. Sorry to interrupt. I... uh, I got to go deal with the ACE situation. Um, Did he set those fireworks? Okay, cop. Yeah. He's, he's running amok outside right now that the curfew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I'm I'm just going to go deal with this. We're towards the end of the show and bow out and say my goodbyes. Someone promote our iTunes reviews. Uh, to everyone next Bye, week. David. Bye. Sounds good. Good luck. Thanks. Yeah, I think the one way that we could still have cop shows and something that I'm, it's an idea I'm building on as I'm reading this oral history of James Bond is they're like, at some point, the reason the Bond movies worked for audiences in the late 60s and early 70s is they recognized uh, the gadgets, uh, the misogyny, the locales were all sort of like supersized. And that's when you start getting the transition to like a jokier bond because then it becomes uh, going to the audience and being like, we're all together. This is stupid. We're going to have a stupid romp. And I'm not talking about like police academy movies, but I'm talking about, uh, you know, maybe like a sorry to bother you, but from a police perspective, something like that, that reverse engineers how crazy things are uh, by bringing the new audience zeitgeist along with it. So now that we are living in the era, uh, the get out post get out era where, you know, police can be shown as like a menace. Now that's a toolbox in somebody, some storytellers. Uh, now that's a tool in some storytellers toolbox. And I'm hoping that we can find a way to get to those narratives. I just don't think they need to be like, we don't need the two dick, two or three Dick Wolf shows that are in development right now. Like, that just seems too extra for me. Although Dick Wolf, the, uh... Dick Wolf seems, you know, very empathetic to the situation. He fired the oh, one yeah. guy who was doing the Chris Maloney SVU spinoff yeah. because that guy's mm-hmm. a dick. Um, yeah, I don't think Dick Wolf could be convinced that depiction of cops in general is a damaging thing. Like, if I were him, I probably wouldn't either. But it does seem like he might be the person to ask to make his cop shows more realistic or more... Or make a cop show about this moat. I mean, I would be interested in watching someone try and digest what's happening and if, like, cops were disbanded or if cops were reformed. Like, how do cops go on? I would watch a show that's taking all of this seriously and ripping from the headlines like Law & Order used to in terms of its crime and now rip from the headlines of what's happening in the world of cops. I mean, let's get serious. These are real people who will be, whose lives will be changed by this reform. I, I, am still compassionate to them, even though a lot of them suck. Do you It'll it'll be interesting to see which one hits because my feeling is the first one that tries it is going to kind of come off like morning show ish. Yeah. Which is, which is like people like we, well, I mean, but had to like get its, footing right definitely did definitely, i mean the, uh, the arc that we're time. gonna get about cops and about the pandemic it's gonna be a weird couple years yeah uh my, but, my uh, yeah, wait yeah. my suggestion for a cop show do you remember the snl sketch where it's ad bryant and kate mckinnon and they play a pair of cops called dyke and fats yes i do and then someone calls them that and they just scream and say like you're not allowed to call us that i don't know how you make that a full show but i would watch a show about them as cops uh surrounded by a bunch of uh menacing white guys and try and make their way through it <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a way. Just uh, right now, it's a you know weird timing because if I can't get through Demolition Man, it's going to be a while before I could like what about the Marvel movies? get through a Dick Wolf show. What are they going to do, Dave? What about Marvel movies? Yeah. They really dodged a bullet by uh, killing off their hero who was <laughs> no, no, not Captain no. Captain Tony America. Hawk. No, no, Tony Hawk. Yeah. Jesus Tony, Christ! Tony Hawk. Wow, Tony Hawk, no, Skater Tony- Boy. 
they lucked out killing off Tony Stark. A, because he was always an asshole. I'm not sure he was necessarily ever redeemed. But B, he was a weapons manufacturer yeah. whose ultimate solution was to build more weapons. Uh, Captain America, they're not going to be able to um, dodge. Uh, but I, hopefully what they're going to be able to do is pivot to make uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier even more not the cops. Uh, we know there's already sort of a plot like that where um, they, you know, the government decides to appoint a new Captain America and he's named U.S. agent. And so they, you know, they kind of say that we don't want the black guy or the ex-Russian agent. And so there, there's uh, some stuff there. But yeah, Marvel movies moving forward, I think we weren't going to deal with any of these issues uh, any further. Uh, if uh, they God. still had to do another movie, if they still had to do another movie with Tony Stark, maybe they would need to go there. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I don't think like this changes like Black Panther 2 or anything. I think it's whatever that was going to be about, it was already going to be about. Yeah, Black Panther, I think it's a um, not a free pass, but Black Panther has more room to operate being Black Panther. Oh, the rush is back. Marvel movies. Fuck you. <laughs> You're in my you're in my thoughts and prayers, Marvel. Ah! Ah! <laughs> so is the roach that Katie is destroying. Uh, that does it for this week's episode. David is gone. He wants you to uh, leave us a review on iTunes. And everyone else, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon.com, where you can read uh, our last of us two review instead of on IndieWire later this on Friday. Um, hey, read them both. Read them both. Uh, that's all I got. We're fighting the worm duck. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on DA7E. You could go to the Lost, uh, or the Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. This is another podcast. I'm on rewatching Lost. You can follow David on Twitter at David Ehrlich and leave us an iTunes review. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. Uh, you can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Goldman podcast, where, as promised, we're talking about Little, uh, little Men about Do the Right Thing this week um, and to Five Bloods. Uh, so you'll get your Spike Lee chatter a little bit early. We'll be talking about the Five Bloods next week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K A T E Y R I C H. And we're all on Twitter at F I T W R, where you can talk to us about the procedural you would like to see in our post cop society or answer this week's lightning round question, which was. In honor of all the bad media we've responsibly consumed these past months, what's the best thing on the internet you've seen a pet do? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done. I'm done. We're done.